Amen. See, there was a blind man, and he was sitting by the, by the road to Jericho when the Lord passed by. You know who I'm talking about? Huh? Louder, please. I can't hear. Yes, I'm the deaf man here today. So, it is Bartimaeus, right? Now, how did he claim his victory? How did he have his blindness removed? He asked the Lord. He said, Son of David, have mercy on me. Right? And he claimed his victory. Right? He claimed his victory. He was in darkness. He claimed his victory. But what about another blind man? I want us to look at today about that blind man. And that's what we will be meditating on tonight for this victory night, which is accepting the victory in sight. There's another blind man in the book of John. If you would turn with me to the book of John and keep our Bibles open in, in chapter 9. There is a blind man who did not even know who Jesus was. He did not even have a chance to call on him. But he got his victory. Amen? It's because God is a God who gives us victories. Whether we know him, whether we don't know him. He is intended in giving us our victories. Amen? Even when we can't see him. And that's why victory comes because God sees. Because we have God's glance. If you look at the book of John, Chapter 9, verse 1. Are we there? John 9, verse 1. And it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. How do we accept our victories? When we have God's glance. When God sees us, even when we cannot see him. This blind man could not see, obviously. And he did not even know Jesus was around. Bartimaeus, at least he knew Jesus was around. Here, he did not even know who Jesus was at that point of time. When God sees us, we see our victory. And you know why? So that God's power will be manifest in our weakness. So that God's power will be manifest in our weakness. Where are the eyes of our faith failing today? That we don't even want to, oh, that one, God, I don't even know. It's so dark, I can't even see what's going to be. But God has his glance upon you. Amen? Tell your neighbor, God has his glance upon me. Even when I don't have the eyes of faith, God sees me. If you ask Hagar, she will tell you. She said, she didn't, she didn't even know Ismail had a chance. And that's when God opened a well and she asked God, are you the God who sees me? Are you the God who sees me? That's how God looks at us. 
in our place of weakness, in our place of faithlessness, in our places of darkness, God still has his eyes upon you and me. Amen. And you see, how does God's glance continue? As Jesus sees, he speaks. He is not silent about it. He says something over there in verse 5 of John 9. He said, but while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. You know, he speaks so that God's will will be known in our inabilities. God has a will even in our weaknesses. Many times we don't realize and so we don't hear him. He wants to speak to us. He wants to speak his will to our inabilities. What he intends to do with them, he wants to speak. But many times we don't see it. And that's why when God's glance is there, remember God's word is near. If God sees, he's also a God who speaks. He's not mute about it. He's not mute like us. He speaks and he said, as long as I am here, I am the light of the world. Let's also look at John 1, 9. John 1, 9. God's will was to give light to the world, to everyone in the world. God's will was, he knew that the world was in darkness and his will was to give light to the world. And so in 1, 9 of, of John, it says, the one who is the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. God's will was that this blind man will encounter the light of the world through his weakness. Through his weakness. I want to ask you tonight, what is your weakness? Where is it that you are not able to hear him? God wants to reveal himself in that place. In that very place of your weakness is where he wants to make his will known to you and to me. Amen. And as he speaks, he's a God who works as well. Look at verse 5 of John 9. Or verse 6 of John 9. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. You see, Jesus did not use the anything that was from afar off. He did not go have to fetch anything. He took what which was around and what which was within him to touch on that man's weakness. Nothing is trivial for God to work with. Nothing is trivial for God to work with. He can use anything. He can use anything to work on you and me. On our inabilities, God is able to use. But as he works, he gives us a chance. He gives us a chance. He applied that ointment, if you may permit me to say that. What he mixed with his spit and, his, and the clay around. He applied that on the man and he gave the man a chance. And that's what, what happens. Our victories come to hand when we take God's chance. We have God's glance and God also gives us chances 
to accept his victory. We have God's victories in our hand when we take God's chance. God is always working and he gives us chance to respond. You see, he applied that mud ointment on the man's eyes and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. In verse 7, he says, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. He did not push that man into the pool. Right? That man could have very well said, what have you put in my eyes? I don't like this. Right? But he said, go wash. And what did that man do? Look at verse, the next part of that verse. He went, he washed, and he came back seeing. He came back seeing. You shall come back seeing in the name of Jesus. When God gives a chance, it's upon me to take it. I can either take it or leave it. He does not force his will upon me. You see, he who created us without our help will not save us without our consent. That's what Augustine said. He who created us without our help will not save us without our consent. God wants us to exercise his will, our will to see his work in our lives. He doesn't force his will. He's never an enforcer. If he was an enforcer, we will not worship him. We will only serve him. He uses our will to see his work. The man responded in obedience. And that's when he got his victory. He responded in obedience. You know what obedience tells? Obedience tells God, you are all-knowing. It's not my knowing. You are all-knowing. Obedience tells that even when we don't understand, when God asks us to do something, obedience is telling God, you are all-knowing. And when we say to God, you are all-knowing, God tells to us, I want to be the all-showing one. I want to be the all-showing one. Psalm 32 verse 8, if you remember, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And then he wants, he says, don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn like the mule so that you don't obey me. Obedience tells God you are all-knowing. And God wants us to be known to him or him to know us as the all-showing God. That's why he said to Abraham, if you remember, I, will not, I don't want to hide anything from Abraham. I want to show him what is going to happen. Today, if you are in darkness, I encourage you, ask God what his will is and commit to obey. And he will show you great and mighty things in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, obedience also does one more thing. It stretches the natural into the supernatural. You see, the spittle that he used, the ointment that was used, at that point of time, it was not something foreign. We might feel odd when somebody puts clay over eyes. We say, what is this? No, it was not like that. At that point of time, spit was known to even heal eye infections. Eye infections. But this was congenital blindness, if I am right in my medical terms. It was from birth, the blindness. And it healed that blindness. That which was natural, God stretched it to the supernatural. That which had limited power produced a much greater power because of one man's obedience. What is limiting you today? Commit to obey to the Lord and that which is natural will become supernatural in Jesus' name.
Amen. You see, we want to do the supernatural many times, but we don't stick to the natural. We don't want the natural things. We neglect the natural things. We think it's trivial, but God looks at our attitude to the natural so that he can be the super and we can remain the natural so that we see the supernatural. Many times we try to switch parts and that's where we lose it. And God sent God's chance motivates change. And God gives us a chance. It motivates change. God's chance motivates change. You know, he asked the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. That word means sent. That word means what? I can't hear you. What? That word means sent because of something. When he went and washed over there, not only did this blindness get washed away, his identity got washed away. His identity got washed away. Look at verse 8 of John chapter 9. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said he just looks like him. When God sends us to the place of washing, he changes our identity. Amen? See, God sent his word. What are the things that God has sent us for us? God sent his word. What has God sent to motivate change in me? He sent his word. In Psalm 107 verse 20, it says, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. God not only sent his word, he sent his son. His son turned with me to 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. He sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God not only sent his son, he sent his spirit. His spirit. John 14 verse 26, what did Jesus say? The helper whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. God sent his son. God sent his word. God sent his son. God sent his spirit to us. You know why? So that the spirit of God will take the word of God and make us more and more like the son of God. You see, God is not just interested in the charisma of Christ. Otherwise, he would have just sent his spirit. But the spirit of God opens the word of God to our understanding so that we can become the character of Christ. So that you and I can become more and more like Christ. I'm not saying the gifts of the spirit are not important. But if it is not producing the character of Christ in us, then it profits the body, but it doesn't profit you and me. What God sends is for us 
to wash away our, our identity, God's chance motivates change so that we become more and more like His Son. Amen. But there are hindrances to God's chances. When God sends His chances to us, there are hindrances. And what is that? There are things in us that say no chance. You know, in, in our part of, uh, 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 I mean, from where I come from, if there is something that's not going to happen, we say chance. No chance. Right? There are things in us that say no chance. First is doubt. You see, God's chance is delayed by doubt. Look at the disciples in verse 2. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? You see, they were not even looking at Jesus as a probability to heal this man. He was asking, this guy, status quo. He's going to be like this only. Post-mortem now we'll do. Why is he like this? Doubt is actually, it's, it's, it's a matter of the mind. It comes from my thinking. It comes from my thinking, from me not understanding something. But when an evidence appears, what happens? Doubt disappears. Right? When this man came back healing, the disciples had no doubt. But look at the next thing. God's chance is dismissed by disbelief. Dismissed by disbelief. What happened? Disbelief is a state of mind. It's an inability to believe something. Don't want to. It's not don't want to believe. I can't believe it. That's what happened to the neighbors. They couldn't believe. They said, no chance. This is the blind man. It must be someone else. That's what the neighbors said. They couldn't believe the evidence of the miracle. In John 9, verse 9, we see that. They objected. They said, it's not the same man at all. It just looks like him. Now, if God's chances is delayed by doubt, dismissed by disbelief, it is deterred by unbelief. It is deterred by unbelief. If you see, both the others, what we saw earlier, those who are of the mind, but unbelief is something that of the will. Of the will. If you look at verse 16, John 9, verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. You see, both of them, whatever the division was, they refused to believe that Jesus could heal. They didn't want to believe. They willed not to believe. Unbelief. It's an act of will. And the other, the last part, God's chance is denied by fear. It's denied by fear. Fear is a state of mind. It influences my will. It influences my will. It influences my decision making. It's a strong focus on the threats to my belief not on the object of my faith. We turn our focus from the object of our faith to the threats. That's when fear comes. 
And that's what the parents did. They said, no chance that we are going to believe any of this. No chance that we are going to believe any of this. Because look at verse 20. John 9, verse 20. His parents replied, we don't know, we know this our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. Their fear, their fear to acknowledge, they denied God's chance to work in their own lives. See, these are like the tantrums of the soul. How many of us have had children throwing tantrums? Nobody? Ah, right. What happens when children throw tantrums? Parents, you feed them, it becomes more. You feed your fear, you feed your doubt, you feed your disbelief. You know what happens? Unbelief grows. You can't feed unbelief. Unbelief is an act of will. But the others, if you feed, this grows. These are like tantrums of the soul. And that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 131, Psalm 131, verses 2 and 3, Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord for this time forth and forever. You see, all these fear, doubt, disbelief, unbelief, all these are enemies of hope. In the year of hope, what chances are we denying by entertaining the tantrums of our soul in this year of hope? Ask your heart tonight. Let the word of God search you and me. Allow God's peace to quiet your soul today. If, if God's glance can bring us to victory, and if God's chance can cause us to hold victory, how do we retain that victory? How do we retain victories? You see, there are certain victories that have earthly expiry. Certain victories have earthly expiry. Our healings, our careers, victories in our healing, victories in our careers, victory in provision, all this that forms our background here, it has an expiry when our back hits the ground, right? When we are dead and buried, these victories have an expiry. But there are eternal victories. I'm not saying that these are trivial. No, please don't take me wrong. These help us in our proclamation. These help us in our faith. But then there is more eternal weight of victories that God wants us to rest on. And that happens when we take our stance. We see God's glance. We see God's chance. How about yours and my stance? Victories are retained when we take our stance. You see, my stance is based on the knowledge of what Jesus did for me. On the knowledge of what Jesus did for me. That's what establishes my stance. For this blind man, his testimony was personal. It was real. 
it was tangible whatever jesus did for him he could say any forum anyone asks he could say you see when the pharisees asked he said he asked me to go i wash my eyes i see right when the neighbors asked he didn't have to change his testimony the same thing because it was real and tangible for him and that is why his stance was there now not only was his stance there his stance was actually taunting others look at me look with me to uh, to verse 30 of john 9 or verse 25 when the pharisees kept on asking him what did the man say look the man exclaimed i told you once didn't you listen why do you want to hear it again do you want to become his disciples too he was actually taunting the pharisees you want to become his disciples that's why you're keeping on asking this you see when people try to find what witness we take we sometimes we cover away sometimes we don't want to confess our faith but look at this man he did not even have faith over there we will see that later from what he knew he was taunting that those people because his experience was real i want to ask you today what is your experience that you can hold on to and say i know my lord that stance has eternal values not just earthly values my stance is based on the knowledge of christ of what he has done it builds on the proclamation my stance builds on the proclamation of what jesus or who jesus is for me of who jesus is for me you see what was that beggar's proclamation in verse 3 he said look at verse 3 he said the man they called jesus it was in second person he didn't even know him but he said the man they called jesus he healed me he asked me to do this so i did it now look at verse 17 he says prophet i think he must be a prophet see the proclamation of that man in verse 21 he says rabbi because he asked that he asked the pharisees do you want to become his disciples in verse 31 look at verse 31 what he says we know that god doesn't listen to sinners but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will he cons- he he thought of him as a priest the one who god hears the one whom god hears and the one who worships god and in verse 33 he said he is sent from god if this man were not from god he could do nothing that was his proclamation based only on whatever he experienced what is yours and my proclamation to the lord to the world around us what are we proclaiming what is your proclamation in the place of your work as to who your god is in the place of your among your friends what is your proclamation of what he has done for you and me what is your proclamation it helps us to retain victories 
My stance will be beset by trials. It will be beset by trials for what Jesus means to me. You see the price he paid for his stance? He received insults in verse 28. Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple. They cursed him for his stance. And he was, in verse 34, if you see, he was reviled and excommunicated. They said, you were born, born a total sinner. Are you, going to try, are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When I take a stance for Jesus, there is a price that needs to be paid. But if my trials, if my stance is now not beset by trials. What are we doing? Are we at least praying for those who are going through such experiences? Or we are saying, ah, we are not going to face all this. We are in comfort zone. How are we responding to those who are beset by trials because of their stance? Do we take time to pray for them? Or do we say, Oh, I am not in that part of the world, so it doesn't concern me. My stance, what does it do? Even as it is beset by trials, it begets the revelation of God. It begets the revelation of who Jesus is to me. That's the most beautiful part of this passage. If you look at verse 35 of John 9, when this man was thrown away from the synagogue, when everyone had forsaken him, who comes to him? Look at verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. He found the man. If you are, if you are forsaken by your friends because of your faith, children, I'm telling you, if you are forsaken, if friends don't include you for things, Young adults, if you are having that kind of a challenge to modify our stance, look at this man. Jesus came to him. Even if I am in the place of forsakenness, remember, that is the place where Jesus finds me, finds you. Jesus comes to him and see what happens. Verse 35. Sorry, verse 36, or the last part of verse 35. He asks him something. He asks him, do you, what does your Bible say? Do you, do you believe? Till then, he didn't ask him anything. Till then, that man was acting in knowledge. He was not acting out of faith. He was acting in knowledge. But God comes and births faith in him. Places of forsakenness, places of loneliness, don't despise it. It's a place where God comes and reveals himself to you and me. God loves to reveal himself when you take a stance for him. He comes and reveals, and he reveals to birth faith in him. And look at that man's response. Look at his response. Look at verse uh, thirty. Six, thank you, sister. He said, 
Look at that. What a beautiful verse. Who is he, sir? I want to believe him. Who are you, Lord, that I may believe in you? One man asked that question and he wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. Saul, when Jesus met him at the Damascus road, he said, Who are you, Lord? Do we ask him? Who are you, Lord, to me? Show yourself to me in a new way. So that my stance remains firm no matter what happens. Who are you, Lord? That man wrote, he, he went through everything because he knew whom he believed. Because he knew whom he believed. And look at what Jesus says. He said, what in verse 36? You have seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. And look at verse 38. Yes, Lord. I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Worship comes out of revelation. We substitute our worship, we degrade it with knowledge. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's wrong. But deeper worship comes when God reveals himself to us. Our proclamations based on knowledge is good, but our worship comes from revelation. This man, he worships him. And remember, that revelation, it cost Jesus something. Turn with me to 19. John 19, verse 7. John 19, verse 7. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. That revelation cost Jesus his life. What he proclaimed to that man birthed life in him, birthed light in him, but it was at the cost of his life. You see, our stance might be costly, but the price that Jesus paid is much more than the costs that we pay for our stance. We might, we might be forsaken. Our families might disown us. Our friends might leave us when we proclaim that Jesus is my Lord. The world might take a different stance to us, but the price that Jesus paid far outweighs all that. No matter what price I pay for my stance, he paid the greatest price. And that is why my stance remains firm. Because if it was based on my price, pride will come in. But when we know that it is he who has paid it all, we become more and more like him. Amen? So what do I do? How do I accept this victory? This eternal victory, how do I accept it? You see, for the blind man, you could say he is able to believe because he saw. Like uh, our brother Joji when he was, he was concluding that day. You see, the, for the blind man, he could experience the miracle of sight. He could see the Son of God and then he could believe. Right? But for us, we are far more blessed because why? It is we believe the Son of God. 
we experience the miracle of salvation and we will see him face to face that's why jesus said you are blessed blessed are you who don't see and yet believe because that is birthed by himself in us it is nothing that you and i can bring to birth it is what he has birthed in you and i and what how do i remain in this victory how do i remain in this victory i'm closing what is my confession you look at that indeed i have been crucified with christ my ego is no longer central i am no longer important that i appear righteous before you or have your good opinion and i am no longer driven to impress god you know this is a statement by the guy who wrote two thirds of the new testament christ lives in me the life you see in me living is not mine but it is lived by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me i'm reading from galatians 2:20 that's the message version you see over there my ego is no longer central because i am crucified with christ many times we are not able to see our victory because our ego rises up our ego rises up and we don't want to take our stance we want to move away from our stance we don't see our victory because we feel we have not impressed god enough god is not impressed by us god is pleased by us yes but we can't do anything more to earn his impressions he has paid the whole price so let's not let's not get deceived that if i don't do this god is he he will i will i have to perform more no i am not under that i am crucified and the life that i am living now i have no claim to it it is his life to impact his people for his work and that is how i can accept his victory so i want us to rise up we're going to take some time to pray Where do you want to see God's glance in your life? Where are you challenged that you see darkness and you are not able to see God working in what area of your life? You are seeing that there is darkness, you cannot see God working. You are thinking God has has forsaken this aspect of my life. he doesn't want to do anything about it i want you to be encouraged tonight god is seeing it god sees your darkness i want you to commit that aspect i will be calling on the leaders shortly to pray and i want the choir to come forward where is it 
that you are not able to grapple with God's chances, where you are troubled by doubt, or even so you are not able to see the working of God because you don't want to believe. Where is fear taking a hold of you? Where is fear taking a hold of you? And where is it that your stance is challenged? That you, you don't want to proclaim who he is before the world. And peradventure, all eyes closed, if there's anyone who does not know him, who wants to believe in the Son of God today, perhaps only you have known him secondhand. You are like the blind man who said, a man they called Jesus. Do you want to surrender your life to Christ today and say, Lord, I want to believe in you. Who are you, Lord, that I may know you? Is that the question that you want to ask today? I encourage you, you can ask that every day in your walk with God. Let me know you more. But peradventure, you don't know him at all and you want to know him today. This is an opportunity. And where do you want to dedicate your life once again to God? Do you want to rededicate your life? You feel that your proclamations have become weak. You feel that, that all that you are doing is superficial. I'm just doing it. I'm just going on, brother. It's just the rut that is taking me through. I have lost that spiritual fervor. And you want to come back to God. I encourage you tonight. Tonight is the night where you will go back seeing. You will go back seeing him in a new way. What are the areas in your life that is being tormented by the tantrums of the soul? Where fear is setting in. Where disbelief is, is besetting. Where, where unbelief wants to take a root in your heart. Where doubt is always tormenting. Will God do this? Why is God doing this? Why is this happening to me? If you have those kind of tormenting questions tonight, there is a release. There is a release. We are under open heavens, remember. We are under open heavens. Come boldly to God's presence tonight so that you can go back seeing. Where is your stance challenged? That you are not able to say, Jesus is my Lord. Where you are going here and there, where your feet is on two boats. Do you want to be delivered from that today? You want to tell God, you are the all-knowing God. I want to obey. I want us to come forward. I want the leaders to come forward. And if there is peradventure, there is any other prayer points that you want to be prayed on. Please, come forward.
give myself, I give myself to you. My life is not my own, to you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. Take my heart, take my life as a living sacrifice. All my dreams, all my plans, Lord, I place them in your I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. of God, Jesus asked that blind man, do you believe in the Son of God? I'm asking you the same question tonight. Do you believe in the Son of God? When you have this belief, you will receive your victory. And God will walk with you by sight. 
God will assist you all the time when you believe. And He will walk by your side. And He will give you that victory that you deserve in the mighty name of Jesus. All you need to do is to have that strong belief in Him. Don't allow anything to deter you. Unbelief, doubt, disbelief, fear. Don't allow that to affect your belief in God. Know where your stance is. We heard about it tonight. Don't allow anything to take that joy of the Lord away from you. Children of God, I want you to talk to God. This is the 11th victory for this year. Lord, I've not come out to share my testimony. Before this year's run out, I must testify. Open your mouth and pray. That Lord, before this year runs out, I must testify to that prayer point have been tabled before you right from January up to this time. I know, Lord, that you can do it. Because I believe that you can do it. And I know that God will answer you speedily in the mighty name of Jesus. Whatever be the prayer you have been tabled before God right from the beginning of this year, and you are still having that mind that you have not received answer to your prayer. I join my faith with your faith tonight that God will perfect all that concerns you in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, almighty God. Every prayer we have offered today, Father, answer us right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Let our testimony to begin immediately in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, for what you have done right from January up to this time, we thank you. For what you are doing right now, we thank you. For what you are going to do before the years runs out, we thank you. Our testimony shall never cease in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray for your son that you have used, that you continue to guide him and anoint him more so that we can hear from him in the mighty name of Jesus. Bless him, bless his family, bless the work of his hand in the mighty name of Jesus. You have called upon him to serve you. You will shine your light in his path in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray, Almighty God, as his decree on this earth, it shall be established in heaven in the mighty name of Jesus. Once again, all the prayer we have offered unto you, Lord, we pray that we receive answer right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And as we depart, Father, go ahead of us in Jesus' name. The year is coming to an end. Father, we pray, Almighty God, that all the good things you have for us shall be fulfilled in the mighty name of Jesus. And your name shall be glorified in Jesus' name. We pray for all our members that are not here, those that have traveled, that you continue to be with them in Jesus' name. And on our leaders that are not here also, we pray that God Almighty, you will be with them wherever they are in the mighty name of Jesus. As many that are here tonight, Father, give them testimony in Jesus' name. And for those that are unable to make it, give their testimony in the mighty name of Jesus. For the rest of the years, our program is in your hand. This coming weekend, we'll be having the outreach. Take charge and take control in the mighty name of Jesus. The purpose of the outreach is to bring lost sheep back to you. Father, we pray that you will bring them and you will deliver them, you will save them in the mighty name of Jesus.
And for the rest of the year, our program is in your hand. Take full control as well in Jesus' name. Thank you, Almighty God. The Christmas is coming once again. Lord, give us Christmas gift in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, everlasting Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Let us share the grace together in fellowship. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, God's goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Amen.